So good evening, folks. Uh, I've been asked to talk on two topics tonight. Uh, how do I share my faith with others? And do good non-Christians go to heaven? Uh, the way I'm going to handle this uh, is as follows. First of all, some super practical tips uh, on how we can share our faith with our friends, colleagues, families, dogs, people we don't like, etc. Uh, followed by an answer to the second question that I pray serves as a motivator for us all, uh, which will also include some theological clarification around some parts of the question that I think it's important we nail down, down tonight. Uh, pardon the dry throat. Uh, and then after that, I'll field some questions before then leading us into some reflection. Um, that said, this is some big stuff, so let's get right into it. Um, have any of you ever met or been a vegan? You've met vegans? Okay. So, now I wanna, I'm going to show you my experience of meeting vegans, and I hope that yours lines up with it, okay? So, you go to a place, you see someone who looks kind of nice, you go over and be like, hello, lovely to meet you, what's your name? And they're like, oh, my name's Ted, I'm a vegan. You had this experience? I see a few nodding heads. Yeah, yeah? okay, cool. So, like, you meet them, first thing they say, I'm a vegan. Now, I don't know about you, but this tends to actually inform my judgment of that person pretty quick. Sometimes I feel very bad about it, and other times I feel pretty good about it. Because I think there are two responses when someone says that they're a vegan. The first response is to be like, oh, that's really interesting. I like steak, goodbye. And the conversation ends. Uh, <laughs> the other way that that sort of interaction can go is you're like, oh, that's really interesting. So why are you a vegan? Like, what led to that? Is this like a, a dietary thing? Are you allergic to meat? Do you hate fun? Like, kind of, what's up? Like, why, <laughs> like, why are you a vegan? Um, and then the third option is complete ignorance. You just ignore that they said vegan. You hope that they actually said their name is Fagan, like the guy from Oliver Twist. Uh, you just ignore the conversation completely and move on. Um, now, friends, when it comes to how we share our faith with others, the first thing I need to say is we need to share it as openly and as, an, and as excitedly as the vegan shares about their veganism. I'm being honest here. If we want people to know, if we want other people, if we want to have opportunities to share our faith with others, we need to talk about it as openly as a vegan does. We need to be that person who's like, hey, I'm John, I'm a Christian. Or when somebody says, hey, what did you get up to at the weekend? It was, oh, I was hanging out with my friends at church. We were listening to the song about Jesus. It was wonderful. Uh, we need to get into the habit of saying that we're a Christian and of talking about our faith naturally. And yes, we need to be as obnoxious as the vegans are. Because it's interesting, right? Because when you meet a vegan or somebody who's an avowed atheist, they feel no shame about their belief, do they? You meet a vegan, they look down on you for eating meat. You meet an atheist, they look down on you for being a stupid Christian. Like, they're not ashamed of their belief system. They're not ashamed of what they think. They're fully proud of it, and they believe it. Well, so was Paul. In Romans 1.16, we're told, For I am unashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. We're not meant to be ashamed of being a Christian. We've been invited to be on the most wonderful adventure that this life can ever possibly hold by the creator of all things. Let's get our heads on straight. If, we're gonna, if, we're gonna be, if we want to share our faith with others, if we want to see other people come to know Jesus, we need to be excited about the fact that we know Jesus. 
Part two. There's a wonderful book, I can't remember the author, uh, called Letters to a Skeptic, or Letters from a Skeptic, rather. Um, it's the tale, uh, true story, um, of a young man uh, who, become, who goes to seminary, uh, trains to be uh, a minister, uh, and then, once he has, his dad comes to him, uh, who doesn't believe in Jesus, and says, okay, son, you've gone away, you've studied, let's talk. And the, the book is a collection of letters from the father and the son who talk together. So the father sends him a letter saying something like, so, the problem of suffering, why are there all these awful things in the world? The son says, give me two weeks, I'll get back to you. And he does. He sits, he reads, he studies, and he writes an accurate response based on what the Bible says and sends it to his father. The father reads it, hey, that's pretty good. Um, And so they continue dialoguing. Once we've got excited and once we're happy to be open about our faith with all of our friends, family, dogs, avowed enemies, all those people, the next step is to be honest with them. It's to share what we know from what the Bible says. It's to be willing to talk about those hard truths. And actually, when they ask us a question that we don't know the answer to, it's to be honest then, too. Say, hey, I know that the Bible does deal with the problem of suffering, or with this thing, or with this thing. I actually don't have that memorized. Sorry to say that, but give me a week, and I'll come back, and then let's talk. And then actually honor that commitment that you've made. Um, If you've said that you're going to do the research and actually want to bless that person, then let's get involved in doing that. Because the truth is, a lot of us aren't trained theologians, and that's okay. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says, hey, everybody, you need to go to Bible college if you're going to follow me. Um, In fact, Jesus uses a lot of people who've never been to Bible college to do wonderful, wonderful things. Um, The Bible wasn't written to be this complex manuscript that can't be accessed. It was written to basically be God's love letter to the church, to tell us and anybody who accesses that book who he is, what he's like, and what he's done. And so we need to, and so to point back to John's talk, If we're going to be able to answer these questions, I'm going to be able to share what the Bible says openly and honestly, we need to know what it says. Part three, and I'd like a show of hands if you've had this question asked to you. When talking about our faith, we need to be able to talk about it practically. Have you ever heard, have you ever had the question, so like, does it work though? Like for you, is being a Christian a good thing? Like does it work? Like, how, how, how does it go? Do you have to, how much money do you have to give? Can I play football on Sunday morning still? Do I have to go to church? What about rowing? Is that against the Bible? Am I allowed to shave my beard? It says something about that in Leviticus. Like, all those, like, super practical things where people kind of ask strange questions that, to them, feel super important. Have you experienced that ever? Cool, I'm good. Uh, <laughs> I'm seeing a few nods. We need to be able to share about how our faith works practically. And that means having everyday examples of how we're living out our faith or have done previously. When somebody asks you, okay, so you're a Christian, right? How long have you been a Christian for? And you give them how long. Okay, so what's it like following God? Give me an example of a time where God did something in your life. Do you have immediate stories that come to mind? Seeing a couple nods, a couple shaking heads, a couple like kind of confused. Um, <laughs> I found in my experience, having worked with 
young people and now adults for two and a half years intentionally, when it comes to sharing faith, the easiest thing to do is to share how God's worked in your life. To tell your story. We use a big Christian word, testimony, but it's just telling your story. First of all, people love stories. We've been reading them to children since they were children. We love them as adults. We read because we can connect to the characters we hear about. Also, first of all, if it's a, if it's a personal story, very hard to fact check, uh, which helps. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> but secondly, you, you can't, if I'm sharing my testimony with you, you're not looking for holes in the narrative, right? If I read you this whole long passage from Scripture and say, this is why I believe in Jesus, it might be true for me, it might be something that really encourages me, but what that person's going to hear is, I believe in God because I've read this book once and thought it was cool. Whereas when you share a practical testimony of what God's done in your life, that's a lot harder just to kind of bat away and ignore. Like when we share more and more stories of how God has influenced us, has shaped us, has worked powerfully through us, that's when, what, that's when I think genuine dialogue and the exchange of ideas can really happen. I mean, one of my favorite stories to share with new people, uh, particularly with young people when you play the game Two Truths and a Lie, uh, is I was once kicked out of a Disney shop. Um, I've told a few of you this story before. It's one of my favorites. Uh, I, was, I was in Ireland um, on a mission trip, uh, and I wanted to buy my sister a souvenir. So I go into this Disney store, uh, and meet this lovely lady. I'm going to call her Kaylee. I can't remember her name. It was a while ago now. Um, and uh, I was like, oh, I want to buy a souvenir for my sister. So I ask where the Winnie the Poohs are, as he's one of my favorite Disney characters. Uh, she leads us over to the little stand. Um, I first point at like a small to medium-sized Winnie the Pooh. I allow her to upsell me to a medium-large Winnie the Pooh hoping to kind of build some dialogue, you know, kind of keep the conversation going. Um, and then we get to the till, and I'm paying for this medium-large Winnie the Pooh. Um, and I tell her why I'm in Ireland. I say, hey, I'm here learning about St. Patrick and Arthur McGuinness and how God used them to powerfully change Ireland's culture forever. Um, part of this trip is offering to pray for people. So, would you be okay if I prayed for you? And immediately, she went from like, yes, cool, I'm making a wonderful sale, to you are literally the Antichrist to get out of my shop. Like, it was like, the, the flip was so severe. I've never experienced anything like it before. She was like, no, and like frog marched me out of the store after taking my money for the Winnie the Pooh. Um, <laughs> but it's a wonderful story to share, because the fact is, friends, we're not called to be able to define how this goes we're called to share the gospel. We're not called to shape how it's received. We're called to preach. We're called to step out of our comfort zone and talk to those people about the gospel. And actually, with that lady, perhaps I shouldn't have offered to pray for her. Um, but when it comes to our friends and family, and I hope that you guys have experienced this, normally when we talk about the gospel, we get the same three responses the vegans get. Of, you're dumb, I don't care complete ignorance, hoping they don't talk about Jesus again. Or people are actually genuinely interested and want to know more. And truthfully, I've actually had more of that third response than I have the others. So first of all, we need to share openly and excitedly about our faith. Secondly, we need to share honestly. We need to say when we don't know things, we need to go away and research, and we need to come back to people honoring that commitment to share with them what we've learned and what the Bible says that we believe to be true. Thirdly, we need to share our faith practically. 
We need to talk about times where God has done things in our lives that we can practically share, that they can hear, they can grapple with, and the other person can recognize, oh, maybe there actually is some truth in this. And fourthly, we need to approach the whole process prayerfully. Uh, In Luke 10.2, Jesus uh, is talking to his disciples, and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We need to recognize that not only is God already doing wonderful things outside of the church, in our friends, in our family, in our partners, he's growing things. He's he's giving us opportunities to have conversations. And also, we're not alone. If you think that you're the only person talking to your friend, family, significant other, relative about Jesus, pray for others to do so too. But like Jesus, I don't believe that Jesus was only saying this at the time in, like in Israel to his disciples then. I fully believe that God hasn't stopped working in people's hearts from then till now. He's still growing things for us to be able to be, to be, able to be harvested. And so we need to be prayerfully approaching our friends and family. When it comes to you going to a family gathering, say, okay, Jesus, who do you want me to talk to at that family party? When it comes to interacting with our friends, it's, is this the right time to share the gospel? We need to be talking to Jesus about when he wants us to talk to others. It's an important thing. So, those are my very quick, but hopefully useful, super practical tips on how, on, like, how to share the gospel. I do want to deal with why. Um, and I think there are a few reasons that I hope, hopefully will motivate us and are good to explore. First and foremost... We're commanded to share our faith. To use one of many commands, and one that I hope is familiar to us all, Jesus, right at the end of all four of the Gospels and to different degrees, uh, says that we are co- that commands us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that he commanded, well, the disciples, and therefore us, to do. The base calling of the Christian life is to share the message of Jesus with others. This isn't a summer called to evangelize. This is a each and every one of us are called to share, the, share our faith with others and invite them into the same adventure that we have been called into. Secondly, I know for some of us, perhaps, and this has been me for quite a long time, not now, but when I was younger in the faith, I thought that the safest option I had was if I didn't preach the gospel to people, then I couldn't mess it up. I don't know about you guys, but I had a real fear of failure. Um, And it's something I wrestle with to a lesser extent now. But it's like, you know, if I don't get involved, if I don't do it, then I can't offend someone, and they might still be my friend. Well, Jesus has something to say about that. Um, In Matthew 10, 32 to 33, Jesus says that whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Now, let's clarify something. Jesus isn't saying that if you you fail to talk about him, then that's it, you're done, you're out. What he's saying is if you disown him, a la Peter at the campfire, you're out. Can you see that there is a difference here? This isn't talking about, this is a, 
If someone says, so, are you a Christian? And you're like, nah, mate, sorry, nothing to do with that, but you are. Can we see how that's a really dangerous thing to do? Jesus isn't pulling punches here. Like, this is unequivocal. This is a, if we are asked, do we believe in Jesus, we actually don't have an option except to say yes. Um, if we're serious about our relationship with Jesus, that we, we're not allowed to pull punches here um, unless we want to do some serious soul-searching and some serious repentance afterwards with Jesus, try and reconcile what, how this verse should apply to our lives. We are meant to be unapologetic about the fact that we follow and love Jesus. This is not a thing where Jesus has given us leeway. This isn't gray. This is black and white. And scary. I can't think of a verse in the Bible that's scarier than this. And there are some crazy things involving bears and children and other things that like, blow my mind. Um, <laughs> but this, to me, every time I read it, is a really humbling reminder that we don't own ourselves, that our lives are but a vapor, that we're meant to be slaves to righteousness. We don't have the right to say no when Jesus gives us that opportunity. And so, like, let's throw away the, the, those childish things of, I don't want to, or that's uncomfortable, or, ah, scary. Let's embrace the fact that, no, we're called to do this, so let's get on with it. And finally, and a little less doom and gloomy, um, <laughs> but I think it's important that we, reckon, that we recognize this is there, um, is that Jesus calls us to love God and love our neighbor. And friends, I'm sorry to say that our neighbors actually do include people who don't know Jesus. Um, I don't know about you, but I actually, the more I think about it, the more I really, really, really appreciate the people who told me about Jesus. Because they took that risk. They loved me enough to perhaps have looked like a fool, to have come to me and said, hey, do you know Jesus? Do you want to know Jesus? They loved God enough to not care about their own personal, uh, the way that they looked to others. They were willing to step over that social boundary and come to me uh, and say, hey, I want you to know my friend. And we were called to do the same. So, moving to the second question, and there's a reason I ended where I ended. I think it'd be good to quickly do some clarification before moving forwards. The question says, do, not, do good non-Christians go to heaven? First of all, I kind of need to remove uh, some of the, I don't want to call it fluff in the question, but fundamentally, the Bible teaches us that no one is good except for God. Uh, Jesus said it, I said it, I say it way too, way too, I can't think of English. I say it far more often than I should, very glibly, when someone asks me, like, hey, John, how are you? And then I say, I am well, thank you, how are you? And then they say, oh, I'm good, and then I say this, because, you know, uh, I'm a Bible nerd, and I can't help it sometimes. Um, but the fact is, Jesus says that no one is good, only God alone. In Romans 3.23, we're told that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and then all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Friends, the reality of the situation, uh, if we read Romans 5.23, Philippians 3, Matthew 7, and John 14, if we read them together, the picture that's painted is not an encouraging one for those of us, well, for those who, who don't know Jesus if they don't hear the gospel. 
Um, I think the the most challenging passage I read, uh, and we see Paul's compassion for the lost here, is from Philippians, where he says, For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, their desires, the things that they crave and want, and their glory is in their shame. They do things that they know they shouldn't do because other people tell them to. And then, they feel, and then they feel accepted for it. They glory in the things that we all know they, we shouldn't do, and yet they do because they want to feel accepted by those around them. Their mind is set on earthly things, not on the things of God. The picture in Scripture is thus. There is one narrow path, and it's Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. And if what it says in Romans is true, if the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, then the picture painted is an obvious one. It's Jesus or nothing. It's eternity in the new creation with our Lord, or it's destruction. This is again not gray, it's black and white. And so if we go back to the greatest commandments, if we truly say that we love our neighbor, and if we mean that, then that means preaching the gospel to them. You can't look at me and say, oh yeah, I love my neighbors. I'm a good guy, I'll take their bins out for them, I'll clean their car in the summer, but I won't tell them about Jesus. Because what you're saying is, if I saw that guy stood in the middle of that street out there, and there was an 18-wheeler lorry coming for him, I'd look at him and be like, he'll be fine, and walk away. This is eternal, friends. This isn't playing around. This isn't a game. This is the eternal position of people in the new creation. Destruction, the new creation with Jesus. We do not have the right to say no to people in that regard. If we are slaves to righteousness, then we need to be talking to people about Jesus as often as we can. Jesus doesn't give us any other choice. And so, I think what I'd like to do is give you space to ask any questions and then post that. And I have a small little exercise I'd like us to do before we move any further. So if there are any questions, by all means, go ahead. Do you want to stop recording for this?